You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 178 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In consumer news, economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny step this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny's death this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny's death this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny's death this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny's death this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny's death this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny's death this year. Economic factors may take some spring out of the Easter Bunny's death this year. Before I get to the topic of this week's episode, I want to say something. If we listen to the leaders of the world, if we listen to the CEOs, the politicians, the senators, the celebrities, the media, the journalists, and even if we listen to the comments made in social media regarding what the leaders, the celebrities, the media has said, then... All we hear is stuff like this. That country did this, so we have to do this and that. That person did this, therefore we must act and do this. They have chemical weapons, they have this, they have that. Those people do this, those people do that. He said this, he, she said that. We are outraged. It is scandalous. It is unacceptable. Someone has got to pay. And someone has got to do something. We must defend our freedom, support our troops and protect our democracy. People, people, I know it is a bit eccentric to do so. But allow me for a moment to speak for the entire human race. Yes, I want to speak to all the journalists... All the networks, all the presidents, all the politicians and all the angry social media commentators. I want to speak and comment on everything they focus on on a daily basis. And I want to speak for the entire human race. If you allow me to take on that role, that position, to speak for the entire human race and address the wars, the scandals, the corruption, the elections, the corporations, the weapons, the infidelity, the immigrants. If I can do that, speak for the entire human race and speak to all those people, the leaders, the celebrities, the social media commentators. Well, if I can do that, I only want to say one thing. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Some president has some weapons and we need to attack him. We don't care. We don't care 
as the human race, we don't care. Someone cheated on his wife, someone grabbed someone's ass, I don't care. Nobody cares. Some politician wants to do this, or they want to do that, and some other politician wants to do this, or they want to do that. Well, we don't care. Nobody cares. War. We need to go to war. Nobody cares. Relax. I'm not saying no one cares that there is a war, or that someone has been raped, or that someone has been corrupt. I'm not saying we don't care about the victims. I am not saying that the human race, or I, or we, don't care about the victims. I am simply saying, as a spokesperson for the human race, that the reasons you want a war, the reason you do this or that, and the whole reason that you as a president, a leader, a politician, a news agency, or whatever, the whole reason you exist, to all that, I am saying... Nobody cares! Nobody cares! Nobody cares. 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 That no one gives a crap. It's true. And if you keep on talking, well, then I will just ignore you. Oh my god, you are still going. How many times do I have to emphasize that no one's listening? Why can't you take a hint? Why can't you press the concept that no one has any interest whatsoever? Why is that so hard? And if you really, really think there's people listening, then I'm sorry, but I have to break the news to you. The truth is really that nobody cares. Nobody cares. All the human race really cares about, I think, is having some peace and quiet. Drink a nice glass of clean water, eat a nice dinner with loved ones, and fall asleep watching or reading something interesting. Or just fall asleep after fucking. We care about that. What all you fucking people are whining, screaming and triggering about, nobody cares. And you know what's funny? If nobody cared about war, we would not have any. Maybe we should give the robots a chance. Maybe, unlike the fears of most people, the robots will rule this world in a sustainable and ethical fashion. Why not? Nothing else has really worked.
Can a robot write a symphony? Can a robot turn a canvas into a beautiful masterpiece? Can you? Yeah, so let's talk about dropping some acid, man. Let's talk about LSD. Ronald Reagan to comment on the problem. Well, I'm terribly frightened by the problem of LSD. Uh, I think there's been a great deal of misinformation uh, by those who seem to see no harm in it. But as a parent and as a citizen, and certainly now in this position, uh, I am greatly concerned. My fellow Americans, at 7 o'clock this evening, Eastern Time, Air and Naval Forces of the United States launched a series of strikes against the headquarters, terrorist facilities, and military assets that support Muammar Gaddafi's subversive activities. Stop asking about Bob. Basically, psychedelics came to me through ayahuasca. That's my first experience with psychedelics, followed by uh, magic truffles, I guess you could call them mushrooms, psilocybin, iboga, DMT. These are the psychedelic substances that I have a, uh, by now, a long-term relationship with. But never LSD, never with acid. And uh, one simple reason is it's, it's hard to get hold of. Another reason is that I always felt it was a bit of a chemical you know it didn't feel as natural even though all those other psychedelics i mentioned like ayahuasca it's all chemicals in the end you know um, but still there was something that i don't know didn't attract me but i always knew that i would have to try lsd at some point only to compare it to these other so-called natural psychedelics, even if you could call LSD also natural because it's just like synthesized from, from uh, fungi, I guess. I'm not an expert, but I think it's something like that. Ergot, synthesized from uh, ergot. Uh, anyway, this is not a um, science podcast about the how and history of making LSD. No, it's about dropping it. Dropping some acid, man. 
got hold of uh, some LSD right before I was going to go on this trip, a real trip, not an acid trip. And uh, I have a friend who's been with me in the Amazon many times. And uh, I said to him, hey man, come on, come to my house. Let's drop some acid, man. Let's take a trip before I go on this big trip. And uh, he agreed. So we finished work and for some reason I had not slept that much. And I was really, really tired and stressed because I knew this trip was coming up a couple of days later. And we took the acid, we dropped it. And it went fine for a couple of hours. I got into this thing about telling my friend that yeah, uh, this term, you know, drop acid, don't drop bombs. And I don't know, this made us laugh. And Oh, we laughed. We laughed. But he kept asking about how long the trip had been going on. And I went like, oh, it's probably been 30 minutes. And, and he went, this this is 30 minutes, this. And that was also funny, so we started laughing. And But he kept asking how long had it been. And I started to get paranoid and freaked out that this was forever and we got stuck in some time loop. And I ran out of the room and I was trying to make sense of everything. And I started to get worried, like, hey, wait a minute, I don't even know if this... Because I had never tried acid, so I don't know if what we were experiencing was actually acid, you know? (laughs) So I I started saying, like, yeah, yeah, I bought this from the dirty streets of London, which which was true, but, you know, it didn't make my friend feel any more confident, because, you know... I basically said we, we got the acid from some dodgy individual on the street <laughs> so he said I think this lasts for like 12 hours 12 hours because I knew like shrooms and ayahuasca only lasts for 5-6 hours and DMT they only last for like 10 minutes so I was like 12 hours and uh, hey I'm really tired I want to go to sleep and I was so tired and I could not go to sleep and basically it was a kind of a nightmare And it was proof to me that I should follow my own goddamn directions. Because I broke every single psychedelic ceremony rule that I've laid down in the holy book of the law. Like, make sure you're well rested. Don't have anything planned the coming days. You know, prepare mentally. You know, make sure you know what substance you are taking. And, you know, I just... Everything went went out the window. I guess because it wasn't a plant per se. I uh, treated the LSD a bit like... Drop some acid, man. Like that, you know. I didn't really respect it enough, I think. Also, I usually listen to Icarus when I do a psychedelic ceremony and and the Icarus for some reason did not it didn't go that well with LSD for some reason 
And um, so I, 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 it felt like a ho- one big disaster. So I said to myself, like, that can't be my only acid experience. So last Easter, I decided to crucify myself on some acid and do it properly. So I did. Everything I did wrong the first time, I did right the second time. And I was expecting some glorious results. And I always sit in the dark, listen to Icarus or nature sounds. And I try to focus my intention on something particular and make a ceremony out of it. I don't know, there's something that jars with the LSD. There's something that's not working. The, The rhythm, the beat, it doesn't go with me for some reason. And I don't know if it's just because I'm in a certain position now mentally with myself that just implies that I shouldn't do psychedelics right now because I've done so much work with them so maybe I don't need it uh, right now because I still have some integration to do from past ceremonies but I don't know there's something I understand why people like acid but I also don't understand why they like it. I mean, how they can prefer it over shrooms or ayahuasca or or, or those kind of things. And there, w- there was one thing that really annoyed me with the LSD. It was that if I, for example, if I were thinking like, I started thinking about blue lights, then I saw blue lights. If I started thinking about X, I saw X. And I don't like that. Uh, I don't like to be able to control what I experience because for some reason then it doesn't feel as real. It feels like it's my own imagination. And maybe it's always my own imagination. But the thing with like DMT or ayahuasca, for me anyway, is that I can sit and think about blue lights all night long But if the ayahuasca has decided there shall be no blue lights, there won't be. And I like that. I like that it's not my mind that is making whatever I'm experiencing. It's coming from somewhere else. And even if it isn't, even if it is my mind, it must be some subconscious deep part of my mind because with the LSD just thinking something and then seeing it is I don't know I didn't like that so much and uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience and I started getting bored and I I wanted it to be over and it as you know takes 12 hours it's quite strong the LSD I had and uh, I don't know I just had to lay still and just concentrate because it just met it's just my thoughts were just racing and I don't know, I, I just couldn't... I, I had this feeling where I, I, I'm too tired. Not tired physically, I'm just tired. I don't want to see any more worlds. I don't need to see any more entities. I don't need to see anything, you know. I'm on a path. I, You know, that's all the beginner stuff, you know. Seeing an alien creature... You know, traveling through the galaxy. After a while, it gets boring. Now I just want to experience things that makes me into a greater human being. And the LSD was a bit surface. It was a bit surface dwelling for me. 
um, I'm not trying to put down LSD. I'm sure many people out there. I mean, there was the summer of love, for God's sake. So some people have uh, enjoyed it. But I've done two tries. And so far, I have not really enjoyed it that much. Even though the second time was a bit better than the first time. I was also thinking that maybe I'm doing it the wrong way. Maybe you're not supposed to sit in the dark and concentrate and focus your efforts and make it into a like a deep spiritual psychedelic ceremony. Maybe you should just drop acid and just fucking go outside in the daytime and just cruise around. Just go, hey man, peace and love, man. So I started doing that to myself. I, I remember at one point I went to the toilet and I, I went and I pretended I was this hippie. Like, hey man, peace and love, man. All you need is love. And when I was thinking this, the acid trip started to become quite enjoyable, actually. So maybe that's what needs to be done. So third time's the charm, as they say. So the third time I'm doing acid, I think I will do that. I will just go into this hippie role. Find a nice summer day and just fucking trip out in nature and listen to some, you know, funky music. Not Icaros, you know, listen to some Jimi Hendrix or something. I don't know, but not do it the way I did it. Um, so yeah, that that's my plan. I also have another plan is to because I have have some that I want to remix and micro microdose because I always say that I'm not into I'm not into microdosing. I'm into macrodosing. But since I have this acid and I don't want to throw it away uh, I was thinking well maybe I should experiment with that and, and microdose it so I'm planning on microdosing the acid and see what effects that have if it has any effects I don't know but I am going to try it out um, it's fashionable to microdose these days anyway so uh, it might be a good thing to do uh, and I will also try that third ceremony, which won't be really a ceremony. It will be like a miniature microcosmic version of the entire Summer of Love, featuring only one individual, which is I. And um, see if that works. Uh, maybe do it a bit more in a, a rec recreational manner. Not so serious and ceremonial and... Uh, you know, not with the intention of changing my whole being into a higher spiritual being. Maybe just drop the acid and just listen to some nice music and just go, Hey man, all you need is love. Which is all you need, really. So in that sense, acid is correct, you know. Because when the Beatles dropped some acid and came up with that song, uh, All You Need Is Love, 
they were correct because that's all you need. All you need is love. So yeah, that's uh, all I got to say about uh, my LSD experiences. And it's not really an experience, it's actually a struggle to find, try and figure out, like, how can I make this acid thing work? Which is weird. I never thought I'd have that problem. Um, there's another thing with LSD that's different than the other psychedelics. Now when I can actually compare, and not just pretend to compare, because before I... Maybe I had some judgment, I'll be honest. I always thought that LSD would be shit compared to ayahuasca and psilocybin and iboga and those things, DMT. But I, I don't want it to be. So I don't think my judgment or preconceived views affected the experience that much because I really tried to make it work. But there's one thing with LSD that I don't like and it's how it feels. It feels like I'm covered in something it feels have you ever been in, in a bathtub and you have the water in the bathtub and then you allow the water to run out run out you emptied the tub but you remain laying there still and you and the water just sinks uh, over your body and down into that in the, into the drain and as it, as the water is going going down across your skin, there's this strange feeling like you're being covered. Even though the water is disappearing, it's because it touches the skin all over your body as it goes down. It, it creates this illusionary feeling that you're being covered by something. If you haven't had that experience and you have a bathtub, try it out. But um, it feels like that. I think LSD feels like that. And it doesn't, maybe it's because I know it's acid, but I don't know, it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't like blend with my biological self as good as those other substances. I don't know. Who am I to say? I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, which is all I can do. And I just wanted to share this and um, maybe I will manage to crack LSD and uh, get this great experience from it and I, I'll, I, th I think that's the trick nice sunny summer day nice music safe environment outside just put on some hippie clothes and just fucking walk around and just go like hey man peace and love man just go into that role and I think it will be a great experience maybe even have my acoustic guitar and who knows maybe I can come up with a new all you need is love kind of song and make some money get rich famous get hooked on heroin and crack and then one day, blow my brains out in a hotel room. Well, well that was a very depressing note to end on. <laughs> so maybe we should not end on that note. So I did get this love feeling with the, with the acid. That's true. 
And I do fully understand the concept of that as a human race, it's probably better to drop acid than to drop bombs. So let's finish on that note because that's positive. Also, I'm talking about drugs now. So also keep this in mind. Now, as I was saying, uh, drugs are bad. You shouldn't do drugs. Uh, if you do them, you're bad. Because drugs are bad, okay? It's a bad thing to do drugs, so, so don't be bad. By doing drugs, okay? That'd be bad. But drugs are bad. You are humbly invited to support this podcast. And by doing so, keeping it free from corporate influence. Do you want to listen to alchemists, magicians, shamans and psychonauts? Or do you want to listen to humans possessed by dark and demonic forces that intends to lure you into their web of consumerism? I'm sure you choose the former, so please support the podcast. Join us at the round table of the divine mystery as an intergalactic spirit warrior and ally to the glorious art of alchemy. Go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist if you want to become a patron. And for only a couple of bucks a month, you will be able to access additional content, deleted episodes and other exclusive material as well. And be able to listen to episodes way before they are released. And if you don't want to do this, that's fine too. You are loved nonetheless. Thank you. Now it's time for the first ever episode of The Great Mindfuck with Alexandro, which is basically myself and Andro speaking about various topics that fall under the mindfuck umbrella. And Andro is an old friend of mine, and he's also a shaman and a healer, and he's appeared on the podcast uh, a few times before. I won't have uh, The Great Mindfuck, this new segment, in every episode but now and then when it seems suitable. And this first great mindfuck is about topic truth. Enjoy. Welcome to the great mindfuck with Alexandro. So, uh, welcome to the first pilot episode of The Great Mindfuck. Uh, I'm Andrew, and I'm talking with uh, Alex. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Great, really. One of my clients once asked me, like, Andrew, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. Uh, why are you so great? It's a true story. And I really couldn't answer. So, <laughs> I'm passing it on to you. When you say you're doing great, what do you mean? Uh, I'm getting things done. We're doing this right now, and that's another thing to tick off the list. <laughs> oh, so doing great means like putting some mark on a list. You're, is this your equivalent of doing great? Yeah, otherwise you're like just lazy. <laughs> so great is the opposite of lazy. Uh, yeah. In your vocabulary. And that's the honest to God truth. Yes. Okay. And let's talk about truth. Uh, we all seen all the American movies that you have to go. You go to court and you have to swear on the Bible. And what do you say when you swear on the Bible? Um, I swear to tell the 
truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's leave God out of the equation for now. For now, uh, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So every trial of this kind basically starts with a lie. And why is that? Because nobody can tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. No one can do such thing. Do you know why? No. Okay, that's the greatest mindfuck of all, and maybe not the greatest, but the first mindfuck that we're going to kick it off with. Uh, you can take a set of circumstances, like something happened, and there were a few witnesses, and if you uh, interview those witnesses a few years later, or even a few months later, you will notice that everyone will have a slightly different story. So even witnesses who have witnessed the same event will have a different story to tell. And why is that? Because uh, memory messes with their heads. Okay, memory messes with their heads. Their own projections mess with their memories. Uh, and it all depends on the angle that they were looking from. I mean, things you can see from here, you can't see from there. And things you can see from there, you can't see from elsewhere. So uh, just like... Uh, you know, a camera, each and every one of us has an angle, okay? So it's impossible to cover the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because inevitably we all have an angle, just like every camera does. Even if we take out the witnesses and have a CCTV camera documenting everything, even that camera cannot tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, even if it's like non-biased, without memories, without any preconceived notions, it still has a fucking angle, right? Every camera has an angle. And an angle, as much as we'd love to consider the truth, is just an angle out of so many others. Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, that's why it's called a camera angle. Exactly. It's a camera angle. And we, like people, not only do we have an angle, but this angle is also tainted by memories, by projections, by emotional, our emotional status at the time of the event and everything that happened between the event and our testimony. So no one can really tell the truth, the, of course, and, and certainly not the whole truth, because we, have, we all have an angle. So by declaring at the beginning of a trial that we're going to tell the truth and the whole truth, we are already, in a way, committing perjury because we're lying in our very first statement. We cannot possibly tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, okay? It's a fallacy from the very start because truth cannot be told. What we can convey or relay are only angles, just like cameras. We, only, we can only convey angles, and these angles will always be tainted by our own memory, by the context in which we recorded that angle, by what happened in between, by our preconceived notions about what we are expected to see. Uh, all these things that are tainting the recording. And even if, if we put a, a, an unbiased camera, uh, take out the person and the emotional and the memories, the camera will still have an angle. And uh, there was a time when I was into uh, sound production, music production, and I was uh, researching this whole surround topic. Uh, it all started with mono, then it went to stereo to create an artificial uh, three-dimensional field. Then there was this failed attempt at quadro in the 80s. I don't know if you have any recollection of it. 
And uh, then we finally came to some standard that's called like 5.1, which means five speakers and a subwoofer. And you have like uh, front left, front right, center, rear left, rear right. That's like the basics around. Uh, from there, it evolved to 7.1, which means seven speakers and a subwoofer. And it's still never enough. And one very prominent sound engineer was asked, like, how many speakers would be enough to convey a realistic sound image? And uh, this guy's reply was, uh, the correct answer is an infinity of speakers. But if you want to get realistic, then a million speakers will be like a half decent start. What can you see from this guy's reply? Like getting all the angles. Because no matter what we see, or no matter what we uh, report, no matter what we say about what we've seen, no matter what we think about what we've seen, it will never be the whole truth. And even we can take it even further that what we see may not be even real. It may be a mindfuck in itself. We may have been hypnotized. We may be a brain in a box. We can go on and on and on. But the, the major point, the greatest mindfuck of all that we're going to start with is that truth cannot be spoken. We can either speak or the truth, but we can't both. We cannot speak the truth. The best we can do maybe is speak about the truth. We can speak about what we think is the truth, but we cannot speak the truth. Truth cannot be spoken. It can be spoken about, yes, but if we claim to speak the truth, then we are liars, which makes us, in a way, by definition, professional liars. The very moment we open our mouth, we lie. It is an impossibility to speak the truth because every truth will have an angle. Would you say that everything you just said now is a fact? No, it's all a lie. It's a mindfuck. I'm speaking about the truth, and therefore, all my saying are to be considered as suggestions, but not the truth. People often don't use the word truth. I'm I'm speaking truth. They say I'm speaking fact. Okay, it's their it's their own way to mindfuck themselves. Truth, fact, whatever. Facts are considered to be like true, as opposed to uh, ideas or uh, theories which are considered to be untrue and just imagination. But, you know, facts, true, real, they're all like similar words for the same thing. So my uh, stance on this matter is that truth uh, cannot be spoken, it cannot be known through the senses, and uh, the best we can do is offer an interpretation or an angle which is defined by our perception of things and by what we imagine the facts to be. And even if many people witness the same facts, it still doesn't make them true because statistically speaking, we can have like one million angles attesting to the same fact, but the, the, the next angle, like number one million and one, will see a different picture that the first one million did not. So statistically speaking, we cannot take uh, factual analysis to infinity because infinity would be the only uh, correct statistic to prove something as fact. And nobody has the time or resources to take uh, the research or any research uh, all the way to infinity. And if it's even a huge number, it still doesn't mean that it's true. Maybe it's a mass hallucination. Maybe it's a mass hypnosis. So that means that all we have really is belief. 
Exactly. And this is amazing because when we realize those things that we talked about, we realize that all our lives are a sort of religion. We worship at the temples of our angles or angels, if you will. <laughs> we worship the gods of what we consider to be truth, but we basically worship our own angles. And we build, we build cathedrals and belief systems, like atheism is a religion, uh, just like any other. Uh, empiricism is a religion. It's, you know, it has mass appeal in the scientific community. Uh, we're dealing with facts here, right? We're serious people, but still it is a religion because you cannot possibly cover cover all the angles. You cannot possibly claim that something is a fact unless you've taken your research to infinity. Because there will always be the possibility of error. And, and, and therefore we cannot ever claim to speak the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's an absurd uh, opening statement and every trial uh, in such courts is basically starting with a false declaration. So you're already incriminating yourself by making this first statement because you cannot possibly tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's a, it's a, it's just an impossibility. So you can be like your testimony, your testimony can be just discarded just for that alone. Often you hear scientists say things like, uh, we believe that this and this and this. So they do use the word believe goes even further to prove my point. We're not dealing with facts. We're not dealing with uh, science. We are dealing with our religions. The human brain is wired to be religious. As you know, like Agent Mulder says in, in The X-Files, I want to believe. I want to believe, Scully. I want to believe. We want to believe. We desperately want to believe. We need we need a deity to hold on to. We need something to worship. It can be uh, money. It can be science. It can be facts. It can be our own pain. People build cathedrals to their own pain. They worship the god of suffering. His name is Sufferers, by the way. Uh, they worship the god of money. They worship the god of facts. They worship. It's all wars. Every war, every debate, every conflict, every argument is at its core of a religious nature. It's a belief clashing with another. And beliefs are narratives, beliefs are stories, and they all want to survive and they want all want to 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 fuck each other and to uh, and to eat each other and to conquer each other. And all wars are religious wars and all debates are religious debates. Because they are based on our beliefs and never in truth, because truth is unspeakable and also unknowable to the channels that are currently available to us. So the most common opening of trials in certain countries, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, is maybe the first and foremost uh, mindfuck of them all. Because it's just an impossibility. We cannot speak the truth and even less so the whole truth. We can only give our own angle.
check out Andrew at hermeticvision.com. So far, this episode you've been listening to has been dealing with not caring about what the leaders of our world is worrying about. Uh, It's been about dropping acid instead of bombs, and it's also been about the concept of truth. But what is missing? I personally think the one thing that is missing from this episode is a good cannibal film suggestion. When I was like 13, 14, the only way to watch a film in those days, uh, you had to go either to the cinema or you had to watch it on VHS, or if it was on TV. But there was never so many good films on TV back then, or now maybe. I don't know, I don't watch TV. (laughs) And and you couldn't download films, so uh, if you had a film that was like not an official copy, it was called a pirated film. And... um, it came on VHS, and one time I got this black VHS tape with no writing on it, and it contained the film Cannibal Holocaust. And when I watched this film as a 13, 14-year-old, it actually freaked me out so much that I kept it hidden behind the books in my bookcase. I didn't even want to see the tape. Uh, It scared me that much. Because this film is extremely dark and tells the story of some white people who will go down to the Amazon. And uh, you think it's going to be about, you know, cannibals and and those white people also, they, they, you know, they portray the cannibals as savages, but there's a clue in the title of the film, Cannibal Holocaust, which means basically that it is the cannibals in the film who are the true victims of the white people's behavior. And uh, it's also a comment, this film, on what we think is civilized. Because often, when a more powerful, so-called civilized race encounters a less civilized race, the civilized race usually behaves in a very, in my opinion, uncivilized manner. Um, the film *Cannibal Holocaust* is extremely graphic, so if if you don't, if you can't stomach like really graphic stuff, you shouldn't watch the film. You know, keep in mind that. It's was actually taken to court because some people thought that the rapes and the murders in that film were real. So it's pretty well made. And uh, it's actually beautifully made. And it takes a lot for me to be shocked. And uh, I was extremely shocked. Still to this day, I, you know, I have a copy. I've upgraded it to a DVD copy. But I, I have a copy and uh, I never watch it because I, but you know, I just want to have it because I consider Cannibal Holocaust to be one of the greatest films ever made. It's extremely underrated.
in my opinion. And people often watch it and they just look at the horrors and they just think it's some sort of like exploitation, you know, violence, violence and rapes and you know, like a splatter movie, like just gore. But and it is that, but it is also a very political film in the sense that you you when you watch the film and you have to ask yourself you know what does it mean to be a civilized society and having been in the amazon myself now many times uh, i can even more relate to this film because when i encounter people who are you know, they don't have any clothes. They don't have any houses, really. They don't seem to have many material possessions at all. And, you know, my first, the first time I went to the Amazon, I thought, look, hey, man, they, these people, they look really poor. But as I stayed longer and as I've gone back there many times, I realized that, yes, Compared to me, a white privileged male from Europe, yeah, they are poor. They're extremely poor. But are they poor? Because what is poverty? And what is being a uncivilized person? Is does civilized mean that you have material possessions? Does civilized mean that you have laws? Because some laws are written without being written. For instance, rape. I mean, we have a law against rape. But if you walk around and you don't rape people because it's illegal, then you're not a very civilized person because... Do you really need a law to stop you from raping somebody? And, uh, you know, I think the best way is to watch this film. But be careful, because one time I had, this, I had a girlfriend, and uh, I wanted to show her this film. So I put the film on, and I, when I watch a film, I, you know, I'm very focused. I watch the film. I don't look around or talk or do anything else. I just immerse myself in the film I'm watching. So I didn't really look at my girlfriend while I was watching the film. But when the film was finished, I turned my head, and I looked at my girlfriend. And it looked like... She had seen her own whole family raped and murdered. I mean, her the expression of, on her face was complete horror. And, you know, tears were streaming down her face. And, yeah, she, she well, if I would call her now and ask her, she would probably say that it was the worst thing she ever saw. So I guess if you are very sensitive, <laughs> I don't think... Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I dropped, I dropped the, the recording device. <laughs> um, 
so I had to stop the car and pick it up. Uh, where was I? Yeah, so if you're very sensitive, don't watch this film, you know, don't watch it. But if you are interested in watching something unusual, something that will uh, intimidate you and perhaps make you consider your own civility, uh, then you should definitely watch Cannibal Holocaust. Let's end with the song Where We Stand by Sam Quick from the album The Way Forward. Go to samquick.bandcamp.com if you like what you hear. Freedom is in the mind. I know it wasn't everything you wanted. I gave it.